Genesis chapter 20. I'll read it in its entirety. And Abraham journeyed from thence towards the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken is, for she is a man's wife. But Abraham, excuse me, but Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of mine heart and innocency of my hand have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. And therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? What have I offended thee? And that that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and maids, men servants and women servants, and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee, dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee, and with all other, and with all other, thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife, and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And thus is the reading of God's word, and all his people say, Amen. Amen. I have to turn this fan. It keeps blowing the Bible closed on me. (laughs) It's creating some trouble. (laughs) Um, All right, well, pardon me. That's fine. Um, Our Heavenly Father, we pray Thee now that You would open up Your Word unto us, that we might see Thy divine counsel in all things, how Thou dost shepherd Thy people and goes behind them to clean up after them, doing all things for their good and for Thy glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, by way of a review here, I want to remind us that um, Abraham, of course, was called of God out of Ur of the Chaldees. God has led him through a, um, a pilgrimage 
And uh, the first, uh, one of the first places he stopped, of course, he stopped at the altar and the Lord promised him the land and that it would be given to his seed. And then he ended up in Egypt where he denied his wife there. And then uh, with um, great substance, Pharaoh sent him away, Pharaoh strengthening him in a, in a monetary sense, giving him maid servants and men servants and also gold and silver, sent him on his way. And uh, there... Um, from thence, of course, he had some issues with Lot. Uh, they were separated. Um, he was uh, promised again that he would have a child. He was circumcised, set apart uh, unto the Lord, promised again that he would have a child, and uh, Sarah was part of that, uh, that he would have a child. And then, of course, he saw um, Sodom and Gomorrah and the uh, four cities total of the plains destroyed by God who rained brimstone and fire out upon them. And now here he is. He comes into um, sojourn in Gerar, and once again, he denies his wife again. And so uh, they uh, obviously have a fear. Abraham has a fear for his life, and you would ask yourself, why does he still maintain this fear over this period of time? Is there a reason that they might be fearful? And I would ask us the same question. Do we have a reason to be fearful as we go through this life? And I would say you do, so long as you're not about the will of the Lord. But we have to um, appreciate here that um, while there is much evil in the land and Abraham and Sarah have seen it, they can see it, so can we see it. And Abimelech even asks Abraham that question in, in verse 10. He says, what sawest thou um, that thou hast done this thing? What have you seen as, as you've gone through this land that you would be fearful when you come down through here? Well, Leviticus chapter 18 sets uh, things before us that have been taking place in the land of Canaan and in that land. And God says certainly that you should not do the things that have been done there um, because the land has been defiled by the things that they have done. So you can read Leviticus 18 and read about all the awful things that they are doing there. And so Abraham has seen things that would cause him to be fearful if he were not trusting in the Lord as he ought to trust in the Lord. So as I said, God led him through the land. He said he would have a seed, told him that he would make a great nation of him a couple of times, and he recently told both Sarah and Abraham um, that they would indeed have a son. So just destroyed. Genesis 20 comes after Genesis 19. God has just destroyed the four cities of the plain. It is a clear um, demonstration of God's might and his power. Um, I don't know if this smell has left the area yet, but you know the forest fires up there in Canada have been lingering over the Midwest and the East Coast for a long time, so you can appreciate that um, this, um, the pallor of a nuclear um, cloud is hanging over the area. So you ask yourself why he would be afraid. Why might they be afraid? Why would he pass off his wife as his sister twice? He's done it uh, as an equivocation on both occasions, meaning he's sharing the truth, but he's doing it in such a way to mislead so that Abimelech and Pharaoh uh, misunderstood the true relationship that uh, was between Abraham and uh, Sarah. Isaac does the same thing when he comes before Abimelech, but Isaac, uh, with him, it's not an equivocation. It's, quite frankly, it's, a, it's, a, it's an overt lie. And so, well, we read this, we can kind of chuckle. Boy, isn't it kind of funny how they kind of stumble along and they fall into the same sin. You know, we have sins that easily uh, beset us. And uh, we can uh, take some comfort in that because we see that in spite of themselves that God um, 
never leaves them nor forsakes them. And so we would ask ourselves or we would uh, reassure ourselves that, well, it just says he never left them nor forsake them. He's not, neither going to leave us nor forsake us. And we can draw comfort in that. And I do draw comfort in that. I read about what foolish things these saints that have preceded us have done. Um, and I think to myself, um, well, God should have destroyed them. But he doesn't, particularly when you, when you begin to compare uh, people in the, um, in the Bible. Um, so, but this is a particular sin that Abraham gets involved with twice, as does his son Isaac does it. And so we would have to ask ourselves, is there something in particular, something associated with this that God would have us to learn? In Romans 15, 4, we read, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So what kind of things can we learn? Well, there's many things that can be learned. What did Abraham learn, I suppose? Romans chapter 4, verse 1 sets this question before us. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Well, I've, one of the things he must have learned comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, which our deacon read earlier for us, and that is that no flesh should glory in his presence. I bet Abraham and Sarah learned that lesson. If Abraham and Sarah get to glory, it is most certainly not due their efforts. They are no better than the people around them. Romans 3.9 says, What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. We can certainly say that about Abraham, Sarah, and the people round about them, Hagar and Abimelech. Abimelech takes Sarah, but she already, but he already has a wife. You know, when you read through this initially, he goes, well, I've done this in the integrity of my heart. You might think that he's wholly innocent of, of sin here. But yet over in verse um, 17, it tells us that he has a wife. Now, the law of God is written on the heart of every man. Romans 2.15 shares that truth with us. God has implanted truths in all men. Everybody knows that a marriage is between one man and one woman. And so... Perhaps through uh, a desire to have a political alliance, he sees that Abraham is quite wealthy, and so he does what kings uh, have done throughout history, and they make political alliances with people that are powerful. Maybe he's heard that uh, Abraham went and um, recovered Lot and the uh, material goods that were taken from Sodom when he went out and he destroyed the Chaldeans who had come down and swept through the land. So he might desire to have a political alliance. So he, this seems like a good thing for him to do to take Sarah unto himself. But again, he already has a wife. So he's engaged in a sin there. Um, remember that as we're criticizing him for having a wife, Abraham had a wife when he took Hagar and, and lay with her. And she's described as a wife. He took her to wife. Um, and then Hagar is dealt so poorly uh, by the hand of Sarah that she flees. So we ask ourselves, and I have in the past, who's a more sympathetic character? Is it Sarah or Hagar? Well, I find it Hagar. Um, poor thing, was nothing but a slave given unto Abraham when he was down in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh. And she's given now to go lie with him, which she then, then does as a slave. And Sarah deals poorly with her, so I find Hagar more sympathetic than I do Sarah. But yet she's not of the elect. Sarah is. Um, um, Again, uh, why would Abraham give up his wife? And so we, we see that these, these two um, conduct themselves in such a way that I think is, is 
demeaning of the relationship that they have with God. God has come to them or come to Abraham on a couple of occasions, and he's demonstrated himself as sovereign over all the affairs of man. Abraham himself declared him to be the possessor of the heaven and the earth. He should have appreciated that his victory over the Chaldeans was through God. He saw Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed after he'd petitioned for for it. Um, everybody knows what has happened. Everybody knows that it was God that it was destroyed. I mean, that's why uh, Abimelech is so indignant here as he is reproving Abraham for what thing he has done. Um, so as we watch um, Abraham and Sarah, and we're going to see this with the other uh, saints, the other of God's elect as we go through the book of Genesis, it almost seems like that no matter what they do, that everything that happens to them seems to work out eventually for their good. <laughs> And that's what happens in this chapter, certainly. And that's what Romans 8.28 says. It says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And we see that happen there also as well. Obviously, God has called Abraham and Sarah according to his purpose. He has purpose, purpose to establish through them the church. He has purpose to establish them a, uh, a methodology uh, which... All peoples of the earth shall be blessed, which, of course, is Christ. He has purposed that through them, and so all things are going to work together for our good, for the collective good of the saints, because of what things they do. And so we see that manifest itself. They leave where they are. They move farther from God. They move away from the altar of God, and they go down into Gerar, and they sin, and they walk out the richer for it. They leave with great wealth. Abimelech gives Abraham a thousand pieces of silver, and he gives him uh, women servants and maid servants and sheep and ox, and he walks out the, the wealthier for it because of his sin. So here's a, here's a simple lesson that we learn from Romans chapter 5, verse 20. When sin abounds, grace doth more abound. And so that's a principle we see manifest itself here. But let me warn you here that... Um, you will suffer the temporal consequences of your sin. We don't see it with respect to Abraham. It's going to be a heartbreak for him when he has to give up Ishmael, but we certainly see it in David's life when he sins grievously, and then uh, the sword never departs from his house. So there are temporal consequences. Don't lean on this principle that when grace, uh, sin abounds, grace doth more abound. And the Lord even says about that, God forbid that you should go down that road. Um, what is encouraging to see here is that God comes behind Abraham and Sarah and helps keep them from um, more trouble, helps uh, keep them from digging a bigger hole than the one they've already dug for themselves. Of the Lord, the scripture says that he is our rear reward. He is our rear reward. He is both our shepherd leading us, going before us, providing uh, you know, green pastures and a place to lie down from which we can draw sustenance and nourishment. He goes ahead of us, but he also goes behind us as our rear reward to help clean things up. Um, so here we are in Gerar. Abraham passes off his wife as his sister again, and Abimelech takes her in. And yet God keeps her chaste. God protects the purity of the promised Seed. The promised seed is not going to come from Egypt through Hagar, and it's not going to be uh, of the Philistines either. And because of what they did, uh, because of the sin uh, that they've done, because of this equivocation, which is a lie, God fast shuts up all the wombs of Abimelech's house. He shuts up the wombs of his wife and his maid servants. Um, 
And then, in the recent aftermath of raining brimstone and fire upon the four cities of the plain, God comes to Abimelech in a dream and tells him that he is but a dead man because he has taken another man's wife. But Abimelech says, wait a minute here. I have done this in the integrity of my heart, which God acknowledges that, yeah, I know you've done this in the integrity of, my, of your heart, but I want you to understand something here, that you are still guilty of taking another man's wife. If you'd aligned with her, laid with her, you would have committed adultery, and whether you know she's another man's wife or not, you are still uh, guilty. Um, not only are you a dead man, um, but if you do not restore this woman to her husband, you shall surely die. He says that language that we see back in Genesis so when God warns uh, Adam about taking from the tree of life, thou shalt surely die. Not only are you going to die, but all that are yours. And so there's a principle whereby one man sin entered in and death passed upon all men um, who uh, have sinned, not necessarily after the similitude of Adam, but we all have the, uh, that nature within us and we, are all, we were all in the loins of Adam when he sinned. So that's principle that we see in, back in Genesis Two and three applies here as well. Not only are you going to die, but all that are yours are going to die because of this sin. Principle here, again, the wages of sin is death. Even if you sin in ignorance, in ignorance, and so I say, keep again, keep in mind again that he has a wife here. Now I'm going to run and do a tangent here. I'm building a, a chain of logic to get us to the allegorical appreciation of what's also in view here. But I want us to understand something here. God says in verse 6 that all sin is against him. Doesn't matter how little you sin, how great you sin, who you sin against, that all sin is against God. Even if you are ignorant of that sin. Now, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table today, and I want us to appreciate um, something that the Lord said when he was on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What he's sharing with us is that Christ, not only is he a sin offering, the peace offering, uh, the wave offering, he's also the trespass offering. And the trespass offering is offered for people who sin in ignorance. In Leviticus chapter um, 5, Verse 15, it says, If a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance in the holy thing of the Lord, then he shall bring for his trespass unto the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock, with thy estimation by shekels of silver. Abimelech pays silver to um, Abraham after the shekel of the sanctuary for a trespass offering, and he shall make amends for the harm which he hath done in the holy thing, and shall add the fifth part thereto and give it unto the priest. And then it goes down in verse 17, and though he wist it not, in other words, he didn't know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. So I want us to appreciate that also in the background here, we're seeing an example of the trespass offering, whereby if you sin against somebody, you are to restore what you have taken, which he does. He uh, restores uh, Sarah to his wife. But not only do you restore what's taken, but then you give the fifth part, or you give 20% uh, more. So... Let's keep that in view when we celebrate the Lord's table today, that, but we're seeing that set up here as well. He sins ignorantly, and yet, nevertheless, he is a dead man for it. He's got to restore it, and he gives more above in like manner as is done with the trespass offering. So you can share that with your friends, though they might not think they have sinned. They have sinned, and even if they do it ignorantly, they, are, they shall surely die unless um, the trespass offering that Christ made is applied to them. So... 
he's done this, and God tells him, well, that Abraham will pray for him. And so we see another type of Christ here in the context that there is one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 5, that we have a mediator, and that mediator is Christ. And so we see that represented here by Abraham, whom God says will pray for Abimelech to stave off his judgment for now. Um, but I'll add this point to you because we're going to develop this at some point in the future. Stave off the judgment for now because Abimelech is actually a type of Satan, and we'll see that develop later. So what we're just trying to do, what God is, is doing here is saying that Abraham will mediate on your behalf, stave off the judgment, I want you to return the wife to him, and then um, things carry on the way that we see that they do here. So um, what, another lesson that we should appreciate here is that um, God will do whatever is required to fulfill his promises. Whatever God has said will come to pass will come to pass. There is none that can stay the hand of the Lord, none that can turn it. What he has determined to do, he determines according to the counsel of his own will, and he will do it. He will bring it to pass, even if he has to flood the entire planet, even if he has to rain brimstone and fire on the four cities of the plain. He will do it to ensure that his will is done and to bring things all to fruition. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He will of Abraham make a great nation. In him shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And Abraham and Sarah shall have a son together between the two of them, just like he said he would. And these are all very good and important lessons that we should appreciate because we should know that we can rest in Christ. We can trust that he will get us to glory. Now, um, having said that, bringing out the lessons that are really obvious and easy, I want us to go a little bit deeper here because there's something deeper here that is a bit obscured that's going to take some effort on our part and some grace on God's part that we would appreciate at this other lesson here. So I think it would be helpful if you step back a little bit and ask ourselves if there is not something we might learn from the allegorical nature of what is set before us here, the allegorical nature. And that comes from what peoples God sets before us here and what they represent in an allegorical way. Now, we have already learned that Abraham represents the walk of faith. We've seen that since we first began to speak about Abraham. And in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about the walk of faith, and it runs down a list of men here. And we see that Abraham is set before us as, the, uh, as a walk of faith. Galatians chapter 4 tells us that Sarah represents the new covenant. She's the mother of us all. She represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She represents the covenant of grace. Well, in the same vein, Abimelech allegorically represents the intellect or what things that can be understood through our five senses. The things that can be understood through our five senses. He is a king and he is a Philistine. The Philistines are two generations removed from the Egyptians. You can learn that when you read the genealogies back in Genesis chapter 10. Those genealogies aren't just there for, um, um, well, to put us to sleep when we read them. They're teaching us certain things. Where do these people come from and how are they related one to another? So the Philistines are two generations removed from the Egyptians and they entered the land that God has given to the seed of Abraham by migrating north along the Mediterranean coast. They came straight up from Egypt into um, the Promised Land. They did not cross the Red Sea, 
They did not wander in the wilderness as led by God. They were not circumcised, nor did they cross the Jordan River. All of these things represent God setting apart a people unto himself, a people regenerated by his blood and walking in newness of life. Now, the refrain from the hymn we just uh, sang speaks of this respecting God leading his dear children along to the promised land to heavenly glory. The refrain was, some through the waters, some through the flood, some through great sorrow, but all through the blood. And so it is for all of the elect of God, all through the blood. That is how we get to the promised land, through the blood of Christ. But not so for the Philistines. They got to the promised land, the land that's been given to Abraham's seed, by other means. They came straight up the Mediterranean coast. Now, you may recall that Egypt represents the world in the scriptures. It represents the house of bondage. It represents worldly wisdom. So, in a representative context, the Philistines are simply more developed in that same vein. They are two generations removed from the Egyptians. They came out of Egypt themselves. Um, They are frequently referred to in the scriptures as uncircumcised. Think about that the next time you're reading through the Bible and you come up upon the Philistines. They are commonly referred to as the uncircumcised Philistines. As a matter of fact, I think that's one of the terms that uh, David uses when he goes up against Goliath. He's indignant that the uncircumcised Philistines will be keeping the Lord's army at bay. So that's a term that is commonly used and made in reference to them. Now, there are also several scriptures that make reference to the, quote, five lords of the Philistines. You'll see that in numerous places in the Bible. It speaks of the five lords of the Philistines. These references are set before us to help us understand the representative nature of the Philistines. I mean, God's words uh, don't return unto him void. They, They are teaching us something. So he's teaching us about uncircumcised Philistines and the five lords of the Philistines. Now, the natural man only understands what things he can see, see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. That is how the natural man takes in things. The five lords of the flesh are our five senses. They are the portals through which people receive information and inform themselves as to what to believe. In the absence of the guiding hand of God, Men behave themselves accordingly as they receive information through their five senses, through the five lords, if you will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 hits that nail harder. It says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. When we speak about the spiritual truths of God, when we share the gospel, the natural man cannot understand it. They cannot understand it. As I shared with you before, we had a memorial for um, a deceased uh, relative, and I shared the gospel at that point. but I know, I shared it knowing that not a person in that room would understand it, absent the grace of God. 
Now, there were two born-again Christians in the room there, and they did come up to me later and said, thank you for telling them that it is a gift. I said at the end that if God gave this certain individual the faith to believe, if God gave him the faith to believe, then he would be with the Lord in paradise as soon as he had died. So they said, thank you for saying that it was a gift. I was careful to say that because it is a gift. Now, what we're seeing in here is given these spiritual representative truths, I think we can see here what is set before us in Genesis chapter 20. And it is a sin, obviously, that is common to Christians because we see Abraham and Sarah do it twice and we see Isaac and Rebekah do it once. It is a sin common to Christians and it is detrimental to the church and deadly as to what is set before the unregenerate in terms of their apprehension of the gospel. Again, three times we see our fathers do it, twice in Abraham once in Isaac. And I think it's a common sin because of, um, of pride uh, in all of us and also that we have a fear of man. That is prevalent amongst people and it is prevalent among Christians, both pride and having a fear of man, which is why the Lord tells us not to do it because he knows that we do it, that we have an issue here. And so we can easily slip into doing what Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah did. We can pass off the covenant of grace, the new covenant, as though it can be had by, taken by, or understood effectually by the natural man. We can pass off the covenant of grace, the new covenant, as though it can be had by, taken by, understood effectually by the natural man. In other words, when we share the gospel, we can share it in such a way that the hearer is led to believe that they can intellectually apprehend the covenant of grace and therefore have a saving relationship with God. One of a truth, it can only be believed and understood and apprehended by faith. Faith is the only way the gospel can be received. The Bible makes a distinction when it comes to believing the gospel. It is to be believed in the heart. Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. All the verses in the Bible that speak about loving God place the heart first, which is later then followed by the mind or the um, intellect. Deuteronomy 6.5 And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, all thine heart first, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And then in Luke ten twenty seven, it says this in the Gospels, in three of the Gospels, it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. So again, heart comes first, mind comes later, if not last. So to be sure, I want us to appreciate this, to be sure faith is strengthened by the intellect, as we're going to see here. But the proper relationship with the covenant of grace is by faith. The proper relationship with Sarah is with Abraham. The covenant of grace is not to be had by the intellect. Sarah cannot be taken by Abimelech. As we see here in Genesis chapter 20, it is a setup for death. God says that he is but a dead man. He says to Abimelech, thou art but a dead man. And if you don't restore the wife, thou shalt surely die. The man that believes the covenant of grace intellectually only shall 
surely die. He is but a dead man. He will bear no fruit. Notice that all the wombs of Abimelech's house were closed. So what this means to us, and that when we share the gospel, we must not let people believe that they can understand it absent the grace of God. Uh, you may recall that in that first book I wrote about the preservation of the Bible, I made that point several times. I said, There's not a, I, can't, I can't bring you to an intellectual understanding that God has preserved his word, that it is in fact the word of God. I said, only by the grace of God can you understand that. God has to reveal that truth to you. And then I continued to go make an intellectual argument because that's what you do. But you have to make people understand that. Though I'll make an intellectual argument to you and, and come now let us reason together, as the scripture said, I do know that only God can place that truth on their heart. God has to, to give them the gift of faith and they have to understand that it's a gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which we quote all the time, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is not of yourselves? Not the grace. That, of course, is, is redundant. The gift is faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. Faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. John six twenty nine. Jesus speaking, says something very similar. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. It is God's work that you believe on Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 15 very clearly says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot get there through the five senses. The natural man cannot apprehend this and he cannot get there. In John 3, 3, the Lord says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And bless God, opens your eyes, you can't see it. You cannot apprehend it through the five senses. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. I read that earlier. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. He cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, again, we appreciate God's grace in this and his gift. He's, God has to shine his light into our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that comes from God. He has to shine that light in our hearts. Again, no flesh will glory in God's presence. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that every bit of that, every step of the way, it is a gift of God. Our faith is a gift of God. That we would believe is a work of God. Um, that we repent is due the goodness of God. And as we can see from the walk of our fathers, the fact that we persevere is due to the faithfulness of God. Hence our first hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Um, it all comes from God, and we should look to him for all things and appreciate all that he does in our lives. Now, as I mentioned earlier, our faith is strengthened by our intellect, which is why we spend so much time in Bible study and the reading of commentaries um, and we are told to love the Lord also with our minds too. So as we read different things, we would do so with the intent of strengthening our faith. When I wrote that book on the uh, calendar of the crucifixion, my intent was to do just that, so that you would have an understanding that Christ was indeed dead three days and three nights, just like he said he was going to be, and that would be a faith-strengthening exercise. So our faith indeed is strengthened by our intellect. Um, 
But consistent with this, we see in our narrative that when the proper relationship between Abraham, faith, and Sarah, the covenant of grace is restored, when that proper relationship is restored, that Abraham, faith, is made richer by Abimelech, the intellect. He gives gifts unto him. So what this means in a practical sense is that when we study as true, born from above, faithful Christians, our faith is strengthened. Now, if we roll the clock forward into the history of the church, uh, we can see this, um, the development of this allegorical lesson. The church um, is a mess today. The outward church is a mess today. It is full of uncircumcised Philistines, people who have an intellectual apprehension of the covenant, and they say, yeah, I, I get it. I understand what you're, what you're sharing with me. I'm saved by grace. Um, but the faith that they have with this apprehension is really their own faith. Um, it has come from them and has not been a gift from God. It is no different for them than believing anything else that has come up in their life, any other historical narrative they, they might have read and believed. It's on that same level um, with them. Um, it's no different than believing the veracity of any particular article that they have, uh, have read. What faith they have was not given to them by God and will not save. And there are some churches that I would say are almost exclusively full of Philistines. The other day I was looking at a certain man's church in uh, near Lexington, Kentucky. And because I forgot the name of it, you know, I get out a Google map and so I can just click on it and read about their church, which I did. Well, the last time I did that, it was all by themselves. This most recent time I did it, just kitty corner from them was a big box church, which had not been there before. So naturally I clicked on that because I wanted to see what's going on in that church. And by golly, if you want to have good barbecues and play beanbag toss and do things like that, that's the church to go to. And I'm telling you, that church looks like it's jammed. The one across the street, the one that's been there for many years that preaches um, you know, all of the doctrines that we come to love about the sovereignty of God and about election, I'm certain they don't preach that over at the other church. They set the gospel before them, probably in an intellectual context, and they can become followers of Jesus. That's a catchy term. They can be part of a community. That's another catchy term that's used today. And so that church is full of what I would call circum, um, Philistines, uncircumcised Philistines. They will not enter the um, promised land because they can only do so through the blood of Christ, an apprehension that they can only have if its faith is given to them to do so. So in terms of how this false apprehension takes place, we see that it comes from, we see this example set before us by the fathers in faith. It comes from the church failing to preach the gospel repeatedly in a clear way. And I say repeatedly because um, false professors must be set straight. People that have come to an intellectual understanding must come to appreciate through repeated preaching of the gospel that it is by faith alone that they would apprehend this. And so that's got to be presented to them time and time again. And after time, even an intellectual will understand that, yes, you know, it is a gift of God, and that faith that I have doesn't come from me. It comes from God, and so they will cry out to the Lord, Lord, help mine unbelief. They will turn to him and seek that gift of faith. So when they come to that understanding, when they come to the appreciation that that relationship cannot be had through the intellect, they may do to them what Abimelech does to Abraham and Sarah is that he will re the, that person will reprove them. They will say, hey, why didn't you let me understand here? Why didn't you help me understand 
that um, faith can only be had as a gift from God, that it's not something that comes from within me. So they should be reproved just as we see that Abimelech reproves both Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, he says, what in the world would make you think you could do something like this to me? What, and you have endangered us all. I mean, Abimelech knows what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, what in the world are you doing? And then he very subtly uh, rebukes Sarah when he refers to her brother, a little sarcasm there in verse 16, and unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother, which is the way she painted the relationship, even though she's actually his wife. So um, um, reprove is certainly in order for those that do not present the gospel as properly as it should be set before them. So by review here, when we look into this, that God says before us many interesting truths about his faithfulness, about his grace, about how we can look to him for all things, about how he will indeed get us to glory, how all things work together for those that love God, them who are the called according to his purpose. And we can see that we bear a responsibility in properly representing the gospel, not using equivocations that we understand what we're talking about. Um, but it's said in such a way so that we will not, um, so that those that uh, we are preaching to will not hate us because people that are, um, uh, the natural man is at enmity with God and they will indeed hate you because they hate Christ and they hate Christ because they hate the one who sent him. So there's an antagonistic relationship between the natural man and God and you think to yourself, well, I don't want them to hate me if I share the gospel properly to them. So you kind of equivocate and then they misunderstand the words in a way that um, their intellect uses to apprehend what can only be understood spiritually. And so with that, I'll close and say amen. Amen.